This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. If there's anything true crime documentaries love as much as murderers, it's scammers. And HBO has two great new documentary projects out about two very different scams. The first one is about a high school football team that came from what turned out to be a non-existent high school. The second is about telemarketing scams and how hard it is to stop them. Both stories are about not just the very colorful, nitty-gritty details of a successful scam, but also the conditions and the systems that make scams possible. I'm Linda Holmes, and today we're talking about two great new documentaries about scammers on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is one of the hosts of NPR's Code Switch podcast, Gene Demby. Hey, Gene. What's good with you, Linda? So good to be here. It has been way too long since we had a chat. Way too long. Way too long. But I want to start with Telemarketers. It is a three-part series that just finished airing on HBO. You can also stream it on Max. The story of this series is that in the early 2000s, a kid, and I do mean a kid, he was 14 when he started, named Sam Lipman Stern was working at a New Jersey telemarketing outfit, and it is so New Jersey, <laughs> called Civic Development Group, which used telemarketing to raise money for supposedly charitable organizations. The one that gets the most attention in the series is that they raised money on behalf of police organizations. The scamming part, at least at the beginning, and the thing kind of changes shape a few times. But the scamming part at the beginning was that most of the money was actually staying with the telemarketing company and only a little percentage of it was going to the so-called charity. Later as it goes on, it gets even more complicated than that, but that's sort of the baseline. And Sam started bringing his VHS camera to work because it was such a an absolutely wild environment. You had the callers, including a lot of convicted felons, getting high in the bathrooms and generally messing around all day between phone calls. And a lot of that grainy old footage is what makes up especially the early parts of the series. Gene, I want you to tell me what you thought when you first saw that office setting with the people just kind of doing whatever and able to do whatever as long as they hit their numbers. It was so stressful and like I was like twitching on the couch watching this when I dropped out of college in the early aughts I worked at a call center for a little while and it reminded me of that it, the place I worked at was nowhere near as wild as this place in this documentary but it reminded me of just like it seemed like people might not be otherwise employable right like absolutely uh, in a lot of different spaces although it was really fascinating is like to be a good telemarketer you kind of have to be like really Good talker. Think on your feet. Fast on the feet, right? These are not, like, dumb people by any means. But right. when the documentary zooms in on the call center, it kind of feels like chaos, which is kind of what it felt like <laughs> at the job I worked, right? It's like people are smoking weed, like, just, like, at their cubicles, yelling and talking and dancing. And it felt kind of, like, all over the place. There's no windows. It just feels really claustrophobic. This is obviously the kind of place that has no HR department. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So who knows what all kind of, like, harassment was actually happening. And there's a there's a shot in which somebody like scribbles on one of the monitors that says like dead end job. And it's like that was how it felt. Yeah. And I think like when you look at people doing something like this, one of the questions that I think people often ask themselves is who wants to sit around all day doing this? Mm -hmm. Trying to get people to give money that you know they 
in some cases don't have. And you're not allowed to care that they don't have the money. Mm -hmm. If they give you a perfectly good reason why they don't want to give money, there's a script for everything they might say to you, including things about other financial problems that they have Mm -hmm. that mean they can't give you money for what you kind of know is this kind of scammy thing. And as you mentioned, because these are people who are or feel that they are otherwise unemployable, they don't really feel like they have a ton of options. And when you think about who thought of this as a really dingy, bad operation, the people who worked there are one of the, you know, the primary groups that tell yeah. you mm-hmm. like how un pleasant and unsavory of a job they felt like it was when they were doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about how they actually recruited at halfway houses. They would go to places where they could find people who would feel that they were really in a very difficult situation and couldn't go get other jobs. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, he talks about the fact that who's going to hire a 14-year-old? When he was 14, he's like, well, they were the only people who wanted to hire a 14-year-old. So in a bunch of different ways, it was people working there partly because they didn't feel like they had choices. And, you know, we have alluded a couple times to the drug use. And I think his buddy, Pat, who becomes one of the kind of central characters Mm -hmm. of the documentary. And when I say character... A character. A character, yes, absolutely. Like, where did you find this dude? Like, Maybe the most New Jersey human being sure. I've ever seen in my life, and that is not a negative. Mm-hmm. If you see Pat, you know what I'm talking about. Here I am. I threw a couple of pot seeds off the side of the road on a major highway, and it happened to grow by accident. Uh, I think you're minimizing it a little well, bit. Well, I am minimizing it a little bit, but 40, that's a... 48 pounds of pot seeds on the side of the road. Yeah, but that's a, a factory? Come on. Sort of the first thing you learn about Pat is he's an exceptional telemarketer, and he's also using heroin in the bathroom during Mm -hmm. the day. And I think, again, you have a situation where for a person who is dealing with an addiction like that, maybe you can't keep a job where you can't get high during the day. And so, again, you have people who are in these dire straits who wind up doing this. And at the same time, like, this is sort of the thing that I initially thought when I was listening to the calls is like, The fact that it's the police that they are saying they're raising money for plays out in such interesting ways, no? (laughs) There was a one moment in which the guy is saying that he's trying to get somebody to donate to the Fraternal Order of Police, which is the giant police union across the country. And the person on the the phone was like, I don't like the cops. He's like, man, I don't like them either. Like, this cat had just gotten out of jail. And he was like, me too. (laughs) It's like, it's just one of those, like, like, it was interesting because you could see how the sort of reflected glory of the police in a lot of people's imaginations made them less unsavory. Like, oh, well, you're not lying to me because you are associated with the cops. Right. And of course, as the documentary sort of uh, lays out, it was like their, even their relationship to the FOP would have been like really attenuated to begin with. Right. My first thought when I was listening to these calls was, okay, these people are capitalizing on the subgroup of people who kind of put down their rational evaluation of something like, do I want to give money to somebody calling me on the telephone when they say it's for the police, exactly. right? Uh, Sam Lippman Stern calling on behalf of the Washington, D.C. Fraternal Order of Police, Lodge Number 1. Good evening. The state FOP will offer to provide financial assistance to them and their families. Now, Lisa, these families, they do need your support. Click. But as it went on, it was clear to me that, like, it's other things, too. It's not just people who like the police, Mm -hmm. who 
could be pressured into giving money because one of the things they did and one of the little details of this documentary is that if you gave money, they would send you a sticker. Yes. Now, when they send you the sticker, Mm -hmm. nobody ever says if you put this sticker on your car, you won't get a ticket. But everybody knows that people kind of think if I give money and I get a sticker, maybe I won't get a ticket. Because the people will see that you have a Fraternal Order of Police sticker on your car. Exactly. And maybe I won't get a ticket. Now, if the police declined to ticket you because you gave money, that would be completely corrupt. (laughs) So (laughs) it's people who kind of believe in police corruption, whether or not it's real, right? Mm -hmm. Whether or not that would ever happen. And for that reason, they give money to the police. Uh, mm-hmm. So now you've got the people who like the police, the people who sort of think they're going to bribe the police mm-hmm. in a way. Anybody who feels legally vulnerable, oh, I better give money because otherwise I'm going to get in trouble. They have so many angles on people's relationships with policing that can cause you to give money. That moment with the decal was like, oh, this is grimy as hell. Like just the fact that people, to your point, believed that this might ward off <laughs> the police or or invite them to be better protectors. Like, it tells you a lot about, even though we don't talk about this, like how cynically people have metabolized, it is what the police do. Right. And so to me, what I like about the series is that, like, these guys who directed this and are investigating this, they talk about this stuff. And as it goes on, they talk more about the FOP, as you mentioned. They talk more about, like, even the stuff you're giving to the police, what percentage that mm-hmm. you're giving to the police Where's that really going? Like when we say the police, what does that mean? You get into all that stuff, but they don't go particularly explicit into the stuff about we are exploiting the cynical feelings people have about Mm -hmm. the police. But I feel like they give you enough of it that you can definitely get it. And then they spend a lot of the rest of their time with like wacky salmon (laughs) going around (laughs) trying to bust the telemarketing company, you know? It's so funny because there were rules they had to abide by. At one point, one of the telemarketers says, if someone asks us how much of the money goes to the FOP, we have to tell them. We're not allowed to not say that 90% of the money they give to us, we keep. We have to say that. Like, that's a giant, <laughs> that's a giant trap, right? Like, it's a wild thing to, like, have floating out there. It's like, and at that point, I imagine, right, like, once you say that, the person other than the phone is like, oh, this is a scam. If I wanted to support the police or I wanted to get a decal or whatever, it's, right. there's a more cost-efficient way to do that. If you know enough to ask the question, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to give money. Absolutely. There's the idea that, like, if someone was to just explicitly ask you, like, uh, what are you doing with this money? You kind of have to say, okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> I thought it was really fascinating. There's also a lot of just very good detail in here about like how one of the guys from the telemarketing company had like a Christian rock band. Mm-hmm. It's like the every time you turn around in this, it's like, what? Yeah. I thought it was a lot of fun and super interesting. So that's Telemarketers. It finished airing now and you can stream it on Max. And we are going to talk after the break about another documentary. This one is about high school football. It is called BS High. Wait till you hear about some of these folks. We'll be right back. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Caitlin, a teen reeling from her parents' divorce, steals a valuable bird in order to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner that leads her to a new outlook on life. Don't miss Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Rated PG 13. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. If you're looking for a new way to support this show and public media, please consider signing up for the NPR Plus podcast bundle. NPR Plus listeners get to unlock sponsor-free listening and bonus episodes from NPR shows like this one. You can find out more at plus.npr.org. We are talking about scammer documentaries today. We talked about telemarketers. We also want to talk about the film BS High, which also aired on HBO and is streaming on Max, directed by Trayvon Free and Martin Desmond Rowe. It's a film about a guy named Roy Johnson who started a high school football program called Bishop Sycamore, and that team got all the way to a high-profile game televised on ESPN. It turned out, though, that there was not a high school attached to the team. It was essentially just a collection of players who wanted to get into Division I college football and hadn't. Johnson had recruited them for what he was kind of claiming was this sports academy, like a sports-focused high school that could help them get into college football, only there was no school, Mm -hmm. there were no academics, he wasn't qualified to coach, and there wasn't any money. And when they eventually played in this ESPN game, they got blown out. Some of them got injured. It became this scandal, which was eventually investigated by the state of Ohio. And in a report, the state called the school a scam. Now, Gene, I want to talk a little bit about this guy, Roy Johnson. I think we can reveal that we were texting a little bit about this dude when you were first watching the film. I mean, to really understand that this dude is, like, a malevolent force. Like, this is always the thing with scammer documentaries, right? It's like, how much is the person doing the grifting? How much do they, like, believe the things they're saying? Right. And with this cat, it's clear that he's just, like, he doesn't. Like, he's like, I will say whatever I have to say. And he's, like, kind of forthright about that, right? Like He is. I will say whatever I have to say to get what it is I want. And I don't care if those things are not true. He says at one point, like, I'm not going to lie about anything that I can prove. Exactly. And then they're like, you would lie about something if you don't think that it can be proved one way or the other. And he was like, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So he's obviously starts out as an unreliable narrator. He's like a mustache twirling supervillain. And one of the things that's so weird about him is he seems to be like all of the tropes, like everything you might be thinking of. Like when they first introduce him, he's like, how should I be sitting? Because, you know, I took a class in body language, so I know how I want to come across. Do you want my hands like this, like this, like that, like this? <laughs> no, yeah. man. Whenever... No, man, because listen, body language is so important. What? Do you realize if I sit a certain way, people are going to think that I don't care? Just be natural. You don't have to try. Are you sure I look cool? Do I look like a con artist? Do I look like a con artist? But he's actually much more Milan than that. He's not just like a mischievous, like, scammer. He's actually like a, oh, no. a little more scary than that. Like, actually a lot more scary than that. He is. He is. The other thing about him is that he, even by the end, he is really convinced that even with having been completely found out, with having been charged with domestic violence at one point... Mm-hmm had a bunch of legal consequences for some of his behavior. One could argue not as many as he probably should have had, Mm -hmm. but some legal consequences. He still is at the end, like, this documentary is going to 
blow up my life in an amazing, awesome way. Things are going to be great. And if you could look at this documentary and say, okay, he is a, a bad person, but he got these kids what they wanted, then you understand how, like, maybe you think, yes, this is still going to be good for me, even mm-hmm. though it showed me to be malevolent. But he's a clown. Mm-hmm. He was malevolent and also nothing worked. Nothing he worked. didn't get any guys into school, mm-hmm. but he has it in his mind, man. I like some of the characters that they discovered in this story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a soft spot for rules nerds. There's a <laughs> rules nerd from the association that regulates high school football in Ohio mm-hmm. who explains that he kind of figured out what was going on with this program well before they played in the ESPN game, but he kind of couldn't get anybody to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. And so he has the opportunity to kind of really call out some of the more blatant things that Johnson is saying. There's some very witty editing Mm -hmm. in this documentary as when he's like, show me the place where anybody says that you're not allowed to have people of a certain age play high school football. (laughs) And they cut directly to like plunking the rules down on the table because it is in there. Mm -hmm. But he says with total confidence that it's not in there. Mm -hmm. And I liked the journalist Bamani Jones as a, a talking head in this. And he's so good at cutting right to a lot of the issues that make stuff like this happen. They dream of being in the NFL. They dream of being rich. They dream of being famous. And you sell them the idea that, hey, I'm going to get you to these places that will give you the chance to get there. All you have to do is work hard. It's interesting hearing from the players because you have that mix of like, I think some of them knew this was not completely above board but they sort of thought there was gonna be something in it Mm -hmm. for them Mm -hmm. you know what i mean absolutely um the rules guy is fascinating because he said he tried to blow up the spot and to try to like sound the alarm about this uh, a bunch of times and one of the things that keeps coming up roy johnson keeps saying this is like well it's not against the law right and the rules guy keeps saying yeah it's not against the law because no one will make a law against setting up a fake school because who would do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why would, right, exactly. why would that need to be an eventuality? That Your you need school to... has to exist. Exactly. It's not a rule that they thought to write. Why does that need to be written, like, codified into the law somewhere? And at one point, Bomani said, and this is, like, sort of what's so fascinating about Roy Johnson to the extent that, like, he's a fascinating person. It's like, okay, so the entire grift is that you're running this giant fake sort of house of cards, right? Nothing is working. Everything is sort of crappy. You know what I'm saying? Everything is sort of, like, um, bootleg. And... His end goal was to be seen. Like, the end goal was for this stitched to get, barely stitched together football program to be on ESPN. He's like, what, what is the thinking there? And then, you know, I remember when that game aired. I didn't watch it, but I remember immediately, like, the social media sort of fallout. I was like, what happened here? And at first, everybody had jokes like, okay, this school can't be a real school. It's obviously fake. And so the players were getting clowned. Roy Johnson was getting clowned. Right. And so they seemed just kind of like... It sounded like stupid and hapless, and here's a guy trying to get over. But the way this documentary treats that game, uh, these kids, although some of them are not kids, um, but these kids went into that game thinking that this was, like, going to be a turning point in their lives. Like, we're going to go out, we're going to play the number one or one of the best-ranked high school football programs in the country, and then we're going to be on the radar of all these big-time schools. And one, they had to be, first of all, like, we got to, like, at least acknowledge that these kids were, like, a little bit... But they were a little bit delusional, right? Like, yeah, yeah. A lot of them were talking about like, "Oh, this is the, how I get on the conveyor belt to the NFL." It was like, "Bruh, like that's not like there's some delusion there." But when they sort of slow down the documentary to focus on that game, you realize 
oh, damn, these kids were getting hurt. Like, yes. But, of course, Bishop Sycamore doesn't have a training staff because it's, it's not a real football right. team. The starting quarterback dislocates his shoulder, uh, and he's like, I heard a pop. It's really bad. And the coach is like, right. don't be soft. Are you soft? And the kid is like, all right. Like, that's the kind of stuff that will have, like, you can have a debilitating injury for the rest of your life. Like, right. And at one point during this game, the announcers even are like, uh, this is kind of getting out of hand. Like, I don't know what the final right. score was, like 60 to nothing or something like that. But it was like... 58, I think. Yeah, yeah. it was It was really eye-opening to watch it. I remember we just had jokes at first. like, And it felt so much more traumatic watching it. Like, it felt so much more like sinister watching the game in the context of the documentary. You could have made this story seem wacky. Mm-hmm. But they don't do that. They go for a much more serious story, not only about what happened to these kids, but also, and this is one of the places where Bamani Jones is so important to this story, is they go into like, why did this happen and why does this work? Black players are the commodity in athletics. They are the prize that everybody wants and they are also the least respected people in the whole process. So yeah, he was going to do this to black people. And to the point about race, right? Like, I kept thinking about Tressie McMillan Cotton wrote this book called Lower Ed, which is about the industry around for-profit colleges. Mm -hmm. And one of the sort of big points she makes is that historically, Black people in particular have placed all this emphasis on the idea of, like, higher education as an equalizing and liberating mechanism. And so even Black people who don't have access to, like, traditional four-year colleges very much believe that, you know, if you watch Judge Judy, if you watch the kind of shows that come on during the day, they're always being advertised during the time of day. And they're like, hey, you can make something of your life. You can get, get a, a degree. degree. And so it's it's playing on this really deep-seated sort of thing that people feel, which is like, I can have a life, I can have social mobility, I can have upward economic mobility if I do this thing that has been systemically denied to me, but here's a way to do it. And that is the scam. And then, of course, you spend, you know, $60,000 trying to get a degree for something for a job that will eventually pay you 30 right? Like, it's like you're just never going to get out of it. But, like, part of what is being sold is this sort of, like, this thing, this idea that you can get up out of where you are, right? You can see that, like, you can see the shades of that in the Bishop Sycamore. It wasn't just people saying, I want to go to the NFL. It was a lot of people like, I need, like, it's really important that I get to college. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. You know, another Bamani Jones point in this documentary is he even really calls out, as you mentioned, the ESPN announcers, because he kind of says, do you know how bad it has to be and how I think what he says is transparently fraudulent? Do you know how transparently fraudulent it has to be before those guys who are in charge of calling that game and as he says, promoting Mm -hmm. it, are going to say anything. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, the complicity of ESPN is is certainly Mm -hmm. part of it. The complicity of, you know, everybody who puts all of this in motion is part of it. The players walk away with, you know, really nothing from him. And some of them have had injuries. They also, a bunch of them had evictions because their housing, as they explain it, their housing wasn't paid for and they were personally on the hook. He took out PPP loans? They say that he took out PPP loans or he encouraged them to take out PPP loans, which he denies. Mm -hmm. But they say he encouraged them to do that to essentially pay their 
tuition because otherwise there was no money to give him. The other funniest part about this that blows my mind is like, yes, they're not a real high school, but the team they were playing in that game on ESPN was IMG Academy. And that is the same IMG in IMG that manages Mm -hmm. athletes and models Mm -hmm. and is a sports company. And IMG Academy is apparently, according to the documentary, a real school. Mm -hmm. They have academics. You can graduate and go to college and blah, blah, blah. But it is also secondary Mm -hmm. to sports, right? It's a sports academy. The point of it is sports. And as they say several times, like, that's not illegal. Mm -hmm. Nobody is saying you have to prioritize academics for high school athletes, right? Mm -hmm. He just took it, as they say, another step to where instead of there being not an emphasis on academics – there just aren't any. There just aren't any academics. <laughs> like not even not, not emphasis on academics. Not even emphasis on like having facilities. Right. Um, reading about what's happening in college football right now, like it's really fascinating about the way that sports, you know, purportedly amateur sports in the United States, kind of largely functions as like a mechanism to transfer a lot of money in different directions. That kind of thing happens all around amateur sports in this country. And we don't really have any sort of way to regulate it or sort right. of deal with it. It's just kind of like these are all deals that happen. And it's a different thing for the players, right? And I just it, – it just made me squeak. It just made me feel icky about all the ways that amateur athletics works. Absolutely. But the reason this kind of brings me back around to why I wanted to talk about these two documentaries together. Yes, please. I'm so curious about <laughs> So what I like about both of these documentaries, they're not just giving you like the colorful – characters of the thing. They're looking at what are the systemic weaknesses that have been built into all of these systems that make this kind of operation possible. And in the case of telemarketers, it's everything from like these messed up relationships that people have with how they think about the police. Mm -hmm. These guys who have very few options when they have been incarcerated and they're coming out of prison and they feel they're not employable. So you have a bunch of people who don't feel like they have good options, right? Mm -hmm. You have a very limited regulatory scheme in a lot of these in a lot of these situations. Mm-hmm. And then when you go over to BSI, you have the influence of racism, mm-hmm. of limited opportunities for these players to do what they feel is the one thing that's going to be a great option for them, which is college football and eventually the NFL. You have again quite a weak regulatory situation. They eventually, even after Ohio said this was a scam, they also said, but it's organized as a religious school, so there's kind of nothing we can do about mm-hmm. it, even though it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. which is weird. Right. But you also have that whole economic system around high school sports that is inherently exploitative mm-hmm. and that even when it's working, quote unquote, the way it's supposed to, it's exploitive. It's like people think about grift and they think about this is the word that I used when I wrote about this on NPR is like bespoke grift, like <laughs> somebody coming after you particularly right. to capitalize on your personal weakness. Mm-hmm. But like what they're really capitalizing on a lot of times is big systemic things mm-hmm. that leave certain people hugely vulnerable Absolutely. to various kinds of scams. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It, it, it's, this is like a weird thing to sort of think about in the context of these two documentaries, which I was like super male. It made me think a lot about the LuLaRoe um, documentary. I don't know if oh, you for sure. The LuLaRoe documentary, if you don't remember, LuLaRoe is this multi-level marketing company that sells yes, it is. Uh, tights? What did it sell? Leggings? Mostly leggings. Mostly leggings. Yeah, mostly leggings. And there was a big documentary, I think maybe two of them that came out um, two, yeah. uh, over the, the lockdown. And one of the things that 
this was kind of about was like the isolation that stay-at-home mothers feel. And these were like, they were disproportionately women who were like college educated, right? And they had like left their jobs primarily to be caretakers of the home. And so they felt all this isolation. They felt like they were not plugged into all these social spaces and professional spaces. And this company sort of flattered that. You are a smart, capable person. You can be an entrepreneur who runs your own business and work at home. And God, like, and the worship of entrepreneurship absolutely, is, absolutely. you know, the idea that the one most valuable thing you can do is own your is own, own business. own your own business, right. And that that has the capacity to transform your life mm-hmm. fairly simply, mm-hmm. which is not what I think running your own business absolutely. is usually like for actual people. Who are successful. But it's like a really powerful piece of American mythology. Right. And this is what I mean. You can show me all of the like scammy person going out and taking money from people. I love a gory detail. I love a colorful <laughs> character like Pat from New Jersey or even Roy Johnson, even though he seems very evil. He's evil, yeah. Uh, but what I really like is a scam documentary that is able to step back and say, this doesn't just happen. We create conditions mm-hmm. for this to happen. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wanted to talk about these things together. All right. Well, we want to know what you think about telemarketers and BS High, both available, as I said, streaming on Max. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Gene Demby, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you as always, friend. This episode is produced by Liz Metzger and edited by Mike Katzif and Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. There's a new way to support this show and public media. Please consider signing up for the NPR Plus podcast bundle. NPR Plus listeners get to unlock sponsor-free shows and bonus episodes. You can find out more at plus.npr.org. And thanks.